This Beyond the Fight, episode nine. It's a last minute podcast where my good friend and uh, Adam Kaplan is joining me to talk about UFC 241. Adam, what is up? What's going on, baby? I am so excited to be on today. We are going to fuck shit up on this show. It is going, it's, oh, I could definitely say that with the capital F. I'm fired up after last night. I am fucking fired up as much as you are. We, I don't know where to start. 241, definitely, hands down, as you were saying to me today, one of the better events of 2019 to date for the promotion. Yes, absolutely. I just want to note one thing, Andy. You are breaking up a bit on my end. Um, however, the event was definitely the top one or two events of the year. I can't really uh, think of an event right now in 2019 that could top that. But I'm sure, Andy, and your MMA encyclopedia, you could stump me on that one. I would definitely agree that it's uh, – how's this – now is it, so, is it better now with so the... so far it's okay i find your voice dies out sometimes at the beginning of sentences okay so if there's any issues i'm going to move i'm just moving to a better area but uh, as i was saying yeah definitely um definitely that this was one of the better events for 2019 i think it's up there with 235 where you saw where you saw john jones fight anthony smith saw ben Askren make his UFC debut, Kamaru dethroning Woodley. And I'd say it's up there with um, UFC 239 that happened last month. But I do put 241 at the top so far because there were many factors that led to this being one of the better events where you had um, you had you had the Costa versus Romero, which is a matchup of two killers in the middleweight division. You had... Diaz make his return. Nate Diaz made his triumphant return after a three-year hiatus. And then you had the main event, which was the grudge match between Stipe and DC that was uh, that happened a year ago where DC shocked the world and became a double champ for the first time. Yes, absolutely. It was uh, definitely a night for the ages. What was really cool about the card was is, is that I don't want to say that none of these guys are mainstream, but like they're not necessarily the names that you will hear most casual fans bring up in a conversation, unless maybe a certain opponent is brought up next to it. Like, for example, maybe people aren't talking about Cormier, but they're talking about Jones and Cormier. Maybe people aren't talking about Nate, but they're talking about Nate versus Connor. So ultimately, you know, it, it was a breath of uh, fresh air that these guys all got their recognition on this night and uh, evening. I mean, Nate returning after three years and, and putting on that performance was unbelievable. It was one for the ages. And uh, just the adjustments by Stipe in that fourth round going to the body and then finishing up top was uh, absolutely unbelievable. And it's just crazy how durable these heavyweights truly are. Yeah, we are. We are. We do know that the heavyweight division is known more as like the the fifty fifty division, slugfest division, dinosaur division. It's a lot of the big guys that are in their late thirties that somehow find a way to uh, squeeze out a bit more longevity in their careers. But I really think we saw why DC is a natural heavyweight and that he shouldn't even have to go down to uh, two hundred five again and to fight supposedly make the trilogy with John, which no one really wants to see. 
including Dana in this, which he even said he wants it to be a heavyweight. Where do you want to start with uh, what you thought of the, the night? Which event do you want to go with first? Costa Romero, Diaz Pettis, or DC Miocic too? Um, we could start off that I have the least to say about. Um, I thought it was a great fight. I thought that Paulo Costa really showed that he's a top contender in the middleweight division. I think that a lot of fans, a lot of intelligent fans have seen a fighter of his stature and kind of saw how mm -hmm. that type of fatigue is not really meant for MMA in terms of having too much muscle and how you fatigue quickly. But he really showed that it's not a problem for him. I mean, the issue is, is that there was a little bit of some steroid conspiracies with him. He did take an IV. Uh, he did not follow the IV proper procedures and you know, you're supposed to have a two-year ban, and then it turned out to be six months, and it's just a little bit sketchy there. So, you know, if they could clear that up, then that would probably uh, stamp his place in the top uh, of that division. But until that clears up, it's kind of hard to dealing with uh, a little slip-up by the UFC to build a star or I don't know what, you know. So they got to clear that up, but... You know, Yoel was fighting on the back foot a lot. I, I didn't really, I wasn't a big fan of that. He could have utilized his wrestling a bit more. He could have uh, pushed forward a little bit more. I thought he won the later rounds, but uh, ultimately I thought the fact that Costa was able to put on that pace was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, you, yes, you do not do that against Yoel Romero unless you are knowing that you are expecting him to explode with a knee or elbow on you, as he did with uh, Rockhold and Weidman, victims of that explosiveness. I was very – the game plan was A1 that Costa came in with. And then, like, the taunting that they were doing to each other, that was, like, really it – was, it was fun. It was not like – some could say, oh, it was, like, kind of childish or it was kind of poor. But I, had a, I got a kick out of it. It was, like, playful. It was, like, it was like a respect – from the two, if you if you uh, notice, I was. Be done, um, but you know what? It's all part of the psychological warfare. It's all about you know what guys do that to throw off their opponents, but not only that to make themselves to maybe psychologically trick themselves into feeling a lot more happy and content with the moment that they're currently in because these guys are fucking exhausted. And, you know, if you take a couple seconds to smile at your opponent while you're exhausted and, you know, it wasn't after a big receiving a big strike or something like that, you know, that could put something into your opponent's head and give you a, a couple of seconds of an edge. And, and, you know, every second counts in there. So, you know, I thought the, the taunting was playful and was cool as well. I just thought that UL should have wrestled a bit more. And, uh, you know, Costa's pace was unbelievable. So it was kind of hard to ask for more from him. And, um Listen, you look at the guys that UL has beaten. I mean, uh, Luke Rockhold, uh, Chris Weidman. I mean, like, uh, I think he's beaten Jacare. Like, this guy's an animal. You know, he's the best in the – he's one of the best in the division. So, there's no doubt that uh, it's a huge W for Paulo Costa. And no saying that they thought that it was a um, a robbery. I, you know, I, I think that if you think it was a robbery, put the fight at five rounds in a rematch main event. And, uh, you, you know, you'll throw it in Brazil and that'll be that. I, I agree. I think I didn't like the decision either. I'm going to just say from my end, I didn't like it. But 
if they do a rematch, yeah, make it a five-rounder, put it in Paulo's territory in his hometown. Let's see, like, uh, Akira or Rio de Janeiro. You can't go wrong with that. No, this. absolutely not. You uh, you cannot go wrong, and the UFC would throw an event in Brazil because, you know what, I'm sure it is getting a little bit complicated uh, putting on these events in, in foreign uh, territories. I mean, we, you saw the event in Uruguay. I'll be honest with you. It was a pretty... Uh, Bush League crowd. I didn't think they were really that into it. And the main event was a stinker. So you can't really expect uh, always fireworks. I understand that. But I just thought, in my opinion, after watching that, that they won't be going to Uruguay for a long time. I don't think so. I don't. Th- I think they're just going to stick with uh, where they have success, like in the spots in Europe or Brazil. And uh, it was I, – I definitely just put that – if there's a rematch, to put that in Brazil – um, other than that, it was great to see Yoel Romero back in action after missing so much time with uh, his broken jaw or nose from the Whitaker 2 fight. Then he had some sickness to deal with, like some pneumonia. And then he had the lawsuit where it turned out he was innocent because of the tainted supplements. So he, he won $27 million, but is he going to see that money? I think it's going to be maybe 5 or $10 million. But he became a very rich man at 42 without having to probably ever fight again. But knowing the competitor in Yoel, I think the when he's fight when he is fighting and active, it makes the middleweight division uh, spicy. It brings a, it brings a lot of intensity because he's just so unpredictable. I completely agree. I mean, listen, whether he's going to see that money or not, I have no idea. I think that dealing with that lawsuit is a complete distraction. And you know what? It's a little bit tough to get in there after knowing that you might be receiving twenty five million dollars, whether you love fighting or not. But um... I, I don't remember what the second part of your question was because I was focusing on the uh, the court case, but I, I really think that uh, he won't see $25 million. No, yeah, and just to clarify, because uh, whatever sound issues are going on with Anchor, it's not our phones. We're both in good areas where there's sound for anyone who listens. Um, the second part to my question and was, quick question, is, do you uh, think... If we're uh, recording yeah. this and it, we hear the dropping, is it going to play like that? It may or it may not. I have a feeling it might clear itself out. Uh, when I listened to one past episode, I didn't notice any okay, issues. Okay, go on. All right. So the second part to my question for Yoel, do you feel that uh, he is going to – do you feel that he, he's going to maybe fight uh, like a Jacare again or maybe a Hermanson this time? Because I don't think we're going to see the last of him. I don't think he's going up to light heavyweight. He doesn't want to do it. And he feels comfortable at middleweight, uh, yeah. it seems, regard- even though. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, that was a close loss. Issues. There's no way he moves up in weight division. He'll fight a top, a top contender again. Yoel will be back. There, there's no doubt. All right. So that I say that would conclude it for uh, Costa Romero. It was a great fight. Like, and I was watching it with, uh, my, uh, with some of my kickboxing guys that I that I train with and uh, everyone was like very split on the on the victory it was a split uh, they felt some said yeah Costa deserved it some said yeah they said Romero actually won because he delivered some more damage to Costa but the pacing just I think played a role moving on to this to the co-main oof what a co-main I mean you could say I don't know where to begin with the co-main I'm gonna hand it off to you for this one listen I'm gonna put it to you straight Nate Diaz is the anti-hero that the UFC needs. I'm quoting Dana White, who is quoting a big-time newspaper who I don't know, and I won't even promote anyways. 
Um, listen, Nate Diaz is the type of guy that whether win or lose, you know that Nate will be back. Nate is like the Joker in the sense that even when you would see at the end of a comic book or an episode that he was beaten by Batman, you knew that there was going to be another episode out on TV. You knew that there was going to be another comic book in stores. You knew it was not the end. And that's Nate Diaz's story in a nutshell. And the best part about it is, is that even though we lost to McGregor, it's like we were on such a McGregor high that we wanted to see McGregor win, even though we were Nate Diaz fans, a lot of fans. And if they were going to see him beat anybody and they were going to see anyone lose, it would be Nate Diaz because they knew he would be back. And that's exactly what happened. And he fucking went in there and he put Pettis up against that cage and he just suffocated him. And it was some really high level jujitsu there. It was fantastic to watch. And it would have been interesting to see from just the pure jujitsu perspective, if the guys were dry, what would have turned out. But um, Nate Diaz is the anti-hero that the UFC needs. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go on a rant in a bit after about the anti-hero theory, or I'll probably go on it in a few seconds, whatever I, uh, however it comes to me. But uh, listen, (laughs) one thing I realized about Pettis is, is that when you were watching the open workouts, I'll tell you one thing about the open workouts. It is usually the last thing that you will see a fighter do, minus like a couple of guys. Pettis took his, his, his partner out there, fought him on the outside with all these high-level kicks, this and that. When you watch the fight, Pettis kept him on the outside and had a completely incompetent stance. He was closed guarded in a stiff boxing stance, which is nothing that he's used to, and just didn't execute. And Nate just suffocated him and actually looked really, really good. Sloppy on the entries, but at the end of the day, Nate Diaz is the fucking man. There's, there is no doubt about it. And it was a W because if Pettis would have won, they would have put him up maybe with McGregor or who knows this and that. Nate wins. He runs the table a bit more. And that's that. And he calls out Masvidal, another anti-hero. The fans love him. They know he's a bit of a bad guy. You know, you have guys like... Um, you have guys like Ben Askren. You have guys like Darren Till. Darren Till, he's a fan favorite. Guy's getting arrested every two seconds. Anti-hero. Uh, you have John Jones, anti-hero. You know what I mean? You have you have McGregor, who's like not an anti-hero, but he's like pretty much almost there in the sense that he does like legal bad things. Like he's like he's almost like a Floyd in a sense. You know, now he like punched an old dude. It's like not that chill. So. You know, there you go. So anyways, it is the era of the anti-hero. And it's fantastic because the anti-hero is different from the babyface trash talker. The babyface trash talker, minus McGregor, is all talk, no show. The best part about the anti-hero is that when somebody steps in there and talks their shit, it's always about fighting. And you know these guys are about fighting. So you know they're going to back up what they say. And that's the beauty of it. That's why when opponents fan favorites opponents step in the ring against these anti-heroes they fear it because they know that these guys are dangerous and and the ufc is is in a good place because it is going to move away from that showmanship and it'll go back to fighting because as long as these anti-heroes are running the table it'll go back to martial arts it's not clean it's not gsp but it's still fucking fighting and it's not these guys marketing themselves and talking so much shit yeah, there'll be a few guys, Kobe Covington, this and that. 
But at the end of the day, you get guys like Masvidal, Nate Diaz. Those guys won't say that much to each other unless somebody steps out of line. But that'll be five rounds of hell. I swear to God, if the UFC put that fight 10 rounds, they would go 10 rounds. And that's just that. It is the Knowing era, that, yeah. Hero. John Jones is going to stay out on top. He's going to do his thing. He's still going to do his shit on the side. The only guy right now, the most hated guy in the UFC who is not an anti-hero, he's a pure shithead, is Kobe Covington. Yeah, exactly. Kobe has done a very good job of playing heel. And now you know, like, they, everyone was looking to Robbie Lawler to basically save, uh, like, fate, like, kind of, like, just put this guy out for good. And then, you know, then, like, John famously tweeted, like, Robbie had one job and let the world down. And now that falls on Kamaru. And, you know, it's very interesting what's going to happen well, come November 2nd. Listen, if they... There was no way. Listen, I'll tell you one thing. I didn't expect Kobe Covington to throw that many strikes or fight the style of fight that he did. But there was no way that you could expect somebody like Lawler to stop that train in the sense that Lawler's been off the map and Lawler's not that type of personality. Guys like him are not going to get him up in the morning. Guy, the only person who's going to get Robbie Lawler up in the morning is Robbie Lawler. Kobe Covington does nothing for him. He's just a face. He's just a body. He's just a character. So, yes, Kamaru Usman is the only one. Now, the thing is, is that Usman has like a bit of a cringy swag to him. Like, I find that like, People find it hard to invest in him. Like he's a bit cringy in in his in his demeanor and the way he goes about things. And Covington's pure cringe too. I'll be honest with you. I really don't think the fans give a fuck who wins that fight. I think that they would obviously like to see Covington get his ass kicked. But I also think that they're like, yo, I'm cool with Covington winning because we know that there's a few guys at 170 that aren't Usman that we want to see as the champion. And Nate Diaz can easily fight Kobe, Kobe Covington. And I want to ask you a question. Do Kobe Covington and Jorge Masvidal have beef now? I don't think so. But, I mean, when Covington uh, made that comment about uh, Matt Hughes, you know, like what, what the lesson with Matt, Matt Hughes is like, you don't, you, when the train's coming, you get out of the way. Like, I know yeah, he said that was fucked uh, up Masvidal didn't. Yesterday in the row, you had Kobe Covington, you had Max Holloway, you had Jorge Masvidal, and you had uh, one other guy. And uh, apparently they had Masvidal. Saludo. Really? I didn't know that, actually. So, you know what, though? I think what happened is, is that Kobe was like Mitch Field, and Masvidal knows him on a personal level, so he was like, yo, chill. And then the guy was hyped up, so he told him, like, yo, Jorge, like, shut the fuck up. So anyways, man, listen, Nate Diaz returning after three years, beautiful thing. Plenty of options for Nate. Whether he fights Masvidal or not, that's a barn burner. I'm not the biggest fan of it because I like both guys. I would like to see Nate maybe fight someone else and Masvidal fight somebody else, but I'll take it. You know, I'd love Masvidal yeah, play Leon Edwards' face in, in England or something like that, but he's too big for Leon. Leon, like, Okay, he's big, I get it, but Masvidal has been in the game for a long time. And that's one of those things that I hear Nate preaching about. He's like, dude, I've been here before. You're pushing all these new guys. Like, look what you have. You know what? The guy comes off as a little bit of a putz, but you know what? I respect in terms of what he's saying because I'm watching the product that they have right now, and I'm not even a fan of it. And then they bring out, like, three or four guys, like, fucking DC and Stipe and Nate and then they have Jorge on the mic and and this and that on the camera 
these are the guys that we want to fucking see. These are the guys we want to see. Dustin Poirier, Khabib, these are the fights we want to fucking see. They have so many events right now that you're watching this and you're like, this is not the UFC. Like, these are not fights that when kids in 1996 ran to the video store to pick up the DVD, those are not the fights that they would have fucking chose, man. We were choosing Rampage Jackson versus anybody in Pride and Chuck Liddell versus Tito. That was the shit. The fights that they're putting on right now, bro, if they had a blockbuster, they would not be sold out off the shelf. No, they wouldn't. I definitely agree with you there. I mean, we grew up in the era where, like, it's like you felt the purse that, like, you felt the fury of, like, the rivalry Absolutely. was crazy. And, you know, we and, we and and the UFC is now, as you said, Nate has brought up a good point to say, let's go back to that era. Like, let's really bring it back to that. You know, there's the martial arts side, but there's the darkness to it, too, of every character that they have. They're not, not showmanship, just pure fighting. Absolutely, man. It's, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, Pettis will be back. Pettis will do his thing. Uh, Pettis slipped up a little bit. He was talking some ish to George Masvidal. Um, he fucking blew him up on his flying knee and him and Ben Askren trained together. And then Askren went on Twitter and was like, yeah, I'm going to need Pettis to clarify that. I don't need any fake friends. So it's just unbelievable that you really have to watch what you say. Pettis is just going to go to Askren and say, dude, I was talking to him from a martial artist standpoint, not a friendship. Don't worry about it. And that'll be that. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna. I, I mean, I like Pettis too. He's a company man. I don't think they're gonna let him go. He's he's done very well uh, oh, demographically like, for the no way because Pettis would just go to Bellator and become the champion. At yeah, too. That's another option. He's a Taekwondo black belt, and Coker loves those traditional martial artists that come right you're over. Absolutely right, hundred percent. So, um, seen- fantastic, uh, fantastic two fights right there in itself. And it was cool. You know, they gave Nate the uh, the backstage treatment. They put the camera back there. They put him on him. They know he's the star. He looked in shape. He looked good. His face looked good. He didn't have the double chin action. He had a jaw. He had the, he had the abs on him. He uh, he was throwing some good knees. He down with a few of those knees and then brought him to the floor. It, it, it was a good contest. And you know what? Whether... Uh, Nate gets that fight against the uh, McGregor or whether he gets that fight against Masvidal, he's going to get paid. Uh, Diaz is still going to be difficult. He's still going to have his shtick, but at the end of the day, I think that he's going to start showing up again. I think we're going to see that too. I think that, I think uh, Dana said it right after he's like, he's a needle mover now and to put that praise in public. I think the UFC is realizing, like, they yeah, have I mean, such an you know opportunity. What, Andy, I'm, to... I'm, I'm, I know, you know what, it was funny. I felt like I was a Conor McGregor dick rider last show, and now I'm like a Nate Diaz dick rider. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't like that comment, and I'll tell you why. Nate Diaz has been around. Like, it's not like he's a needle mover now. Like, what are you talking about? He was a needle mover on yeah. McGregor 1 and 2. He was a needle mover on uh like the ultimate fighter five he was a needle mover you know on countless fucking uh cards and he was in countless close fights and he was in countless um he he's a needle mover in the media so you know when he goes on a podcast like i'm sure his numbers are doubled than most interviews because he doesn't do them often and you're telling us he's a needle mover now it's like dude you don't like 
Like, listen, I know Dana sees the numbers at the end of the day, but at the same time, it's like, bro, like, this is exactly what Nate's talking about is how you don't show that recognition. And then you like give a, I I looked at that as a backhanded compliment. Yeah, I think I could, I could definitely agree with you there. And I'm sure anyone who listens to the show will like also like message us and say, yeah, we agree. So I'm going to really agree with you there because the Diaz's are the most poorly represented superstars of the history of the UFC, whether you're talking about Nate and Nick, like Nick, they had such an opportunity with like, come on, UFC, uh, UFC 47, when he did the Stockton slap on the Robbie Lawler, that's an iconic that's the, moment. That, yeah, man, because... and then he knocked out Robbie Lawler. He fell flat on his face. It's like, no one does that to Robbie Lawler. Like it, Nick Diaz is a superstar. Nate Diaz is a superstar. And they never got the treatment that they deserve. That's what really drove me crazy, which I never understood. You know, you know even what? I'm a late you, bloomer you, you to wanna, it. You want me to be real with you, though? They they preach about that shit. They complain about it. And I'll be honest with you. They don't even they don't even know what the fuck they're talking about, bro. They don't even know what it means to have like fucking 10 times the amount of people that already follow them or bother them in public and this and that. Like, they don't even understand what it means to be like 10 times that. Like, there are people out there that, like, bro, they step outside the gym and you're... Imagine being Kim Kardashian, you know what I mean? Like, being Nick and Nate Diaz, they wouldn't even be ready for that type of magnitude of, uh, of, of popularity. So they complain about it, but I think that they should actually be thankful, and I think that deep down they're happy. And uh, these guys, these guys are are the shit, and they have more of like a cult following, you know. And they make their money in different ways. I mean, Nate said it himself. He's like, I'm smoking weed at dispensaries, making money off of them because he probably owns them, or 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 he's getting sponsorships. So you know, they're popular in different ways. And if you're telling me, if you looked at Nate and said, Hey, man, would you rather be on? Uh, Kelly and Regis in the morning, or would you rather be at the uh, the weed the weed cup twenty twenty? He would tell you the weed cup twenty twenty. So like, he's doing his thing no matter what, man. He's genuine. He's not. He's not uh, sugarcoating he's or genuine. faking. He's real, like, dude. Are you fucking kidding me, man? Like, yo, Nate Diaz gets on that stage and lights a joint. Like, come on, man. This guy, like, people are looking that looking at that on their phone, and they're like, dude, like. I'm scared to do that. And I work in like a fucking department store or I'm scared to do that. And I work at like FedEx or whatever it is. Like, dude, this guy's in the UFC on ESPN and they're talking about him like lighting spliffs on stage. Like, dude, think about it. If somebody in the NFL were to do that, they were like, yo, you're going to bench me coach. All right, cool. They sit on the bench. They puff a dude. Like, come on, man. Nobody does shit like that. And you're going to go back and you're going to be like, yeah, that's the guy that smoked that joint. It's crazy. Yeah. It, very true. I mean, Nate is such an iconic yeah, figure now. Like, it's like the exactly. way exactly, and and you know, it's uh, it's just a really cool thing. It's just a really cool thing to watch how uh, some of these guys could kind of fizzle out and then respark. I mean, MMA is a really cool sport in that sense, but it's cruel because it's very "What have you done for me lately?" That's what it is. It's like, what can you? What have you done for me? What can you do for me now? And as you said, um, I kind of now understand that comment where Nate said um, after he beat Michael Johnson in a fight night, we say, Conor McGregor, you've taken everything I worked for, motherfucker. I understand that comment. As, as Brant Okamoto said, the story behind it was that Nate felt that like he was getting back on track, you know, after being in a contract dispute um, since 2014. And then a pair, if I get the story and facts right, uh, if I get the story and facts right, 
basically Connor just basically took everything that Nate felt he'd worked for. Like he was trying to like strive yeah, against. So I understand and, what happened. Listen, I, I totally think that's cool. And like, you know what? Um, he cut the promo, he cut the promo of the century. And I think that had that promo been on pay-per-view, it would have been received a lot better. But I think at the same time, the fact that it was on Fox or ESPN or TSN, it was the perfect avenue because that's Diaz way, man. They don't give a fuck. They don't give two fucks whether they're like on public TV or pay per view. Hey, they're gonna make they're gonna make money either yes. way. They're they have such a fan base. Like, I I had my like yesterday. I don't know if it was how if it it's mad this Diazism. It's like one of them goes what what like I had my coach like who I'm sitting next to. Every time Nate landed like a strike, not every time, but there's one point when. Nate landed the Stockton slap if you saw closely against Pettis. I had my coach Mo next to me yell, What? He's like, What? Just doing that, like Diazism, yeah, like to shit, taunt. Man. Nate, would, Nate would slap you and then he'd shrug his shoulders and wave his hands out and go, What, motherfucker? And all that cool shit. I mean, listen, Andy, if you want to watch one of the coolest fights ever, you watch Nate Diaz versus Donald Cerrone. He completely mind fucks him in the uh, lead-up to the fight, and then demolishes him three rounds, like, board to board. I'm going to have to watch that fight on Fight Pass, so thank Let's God for Fight Pass to watch that fight. Man. Oh, I want to get to that. Oh, my God. So much can has happened in the with the heavyweight division. So we all know that DC did not get the money fight versus Brock, and his plan B, luckily, was I'm going to give Stipe the rematch. But in the perfect world, DC wanted that Brock money. However, he still paid handsomely. So, I want to give your I want to give your thoughts. See what you think of uh, what happened with that class. Fantastic fight! Like holy shit, man, that was crazy. I have to check the stats in terms of like how many punches were landed. It was unbelievable. But you know, a uh, Daniel Cormier style was very reminiscent of the John Jones second fight in the sense that he, you know, he was fighting with the hands out. And he was fighting with his hands out at that range to mask the fact that he was slowly inching his feet in to then fight on the inside. And it was doing fantastic for him. And I'm surprised he actually didn't get called that much for the open hand thing. Next is so close to Stipe's eyes. But uh, Mm -hmm. it worked very well. But as you saw, even in the Jones fight, like that, that ran its course. And it was exhausting pace, an exhausting pace to keep up with. Uh, Stipe, as usual, kept his composure throughout the bout, and he adjusted to those body shots, and he was fucking ripping them. And what was crazy was is, is that he wasn't setting them up with a jab. He wasn't setting them up with great head movement or any feints whatsoever. And what was really crazy was is, is that Cormier was kind of like, well, I'm a big-time heavyweight, and I'd rather eat a few body shots then risk blocking it low, and then he comes back with a head kick or or a, or a left hook up top. But listen, at the end of the day, with the way that Stipe was throwing his weight into the body punch, there was no way he was going to be able to transfer quick enough in the fourth round to come over the top with a hook, especially the way he's getting all the way over with the shot. He's not able to reload the back foot to come up on top. Um but fuck, man, he adjusted. And when he put Cormier away with that second right hand that puts Cormier into the turnbuckle almost, that's a little wrestling term, into the uh, into the padding of the octagon. Holy shit, man. That was like some Dragon Ball Z shit. I know. When I saw that, everyone on my table was like, ooh. And when you heard Rogan go, ooh, that's when I you kind of knew. 
that DC was in big trouble. And what's funny is I've discussed it with you. I discussed it with Cohen, who's one of our friends uh, who will be joining us for a fight companion soon to date. Um, we all said that, yeah, we all want DC to have the perfect ending, but we see Stipe just pulling off the victory because he's got no distractions. No one's like harassing him or whatnot. Stipe is just coming in to do his business DC, while DC is facing all the questions. DC is going to have the perfect ending, and I'll tell you why. The thing is with DC, man, is that if he would have won this fight against Stipe, all eyes would have been on John Jones. Now, all he has to focus on is Stipe. The shit with John Jones, that's bullshit. He says it's competitive. At the end of the day, it's personal. With Stipe, it's all business. So the beauty of fighting Stipe is, is that he gets to focus on what Daniel Cormier loves to do, and that's compete. He doesn't have to worry about the bullshit with John Jones and the mind games. With Stipe, what you see is what you get. He gets in there, he fights that third fight, whether he wins or he loses, he gave it his all, and he doesn't have to worry about John Jones because even if he beats him, Jones will still have two fights over him. Jones will still have everything over him. So this is a great ending for Cormier because had he beat Stipe, then he would have had to get into the whole dilemma with John Jones about moving down in weight or him moving up. He now could go out, out on top in the best way possible, and that's through competition and not personal bullshit that you want to settle in the octagon. So I think that it's, it's, no, it's I, absolutely fantastic. I think that the UFC is upset that Cormier lost because Stipe is a little bit dull. However, I think that they need to do a better job in pushing Stipe because he will flourish in uh, – he could flourish in an ESPN scene. I mean, he's a college-level baseball player. They could put him in a little bit of baseball uh, analyst position, help cross over a little bit of the MMA. I mean – you know, they could get some all-access footage between the Cleveland Indians baseball team and Stipe and kind of get get a little series going there. They have tons of ideas. The thing is, is that they don't give a fuck anymore about most of these guys. So, you know, I'm ranting right now. I'm so hyped up for this fucking show, man. This is this is awesome. I know. it's, a, it's It was such a – what I really liked, too, was when uh, DC – so this is what really mind-fucked me because I saw it, like, in the first round when DC was doing – was bringing that uh, that pace and that grinded out. When he picked up Stipe, I was reminded of the Strike Force fight versus Barnett, and I was like, and everyone was saying, "Vintage was like yelling out, vintage DC, vintage DC." And then when he slammed him, everyone was going nuts. Yeah, man, like, it was great, like, and it was cool how he was how he stalled him there to let the blood flow to his head, and then he wanted to see what he was going to do. I mean, um, you know, had uh, Stipe. Had Stipe and maybe slid down to the ankles and, you know, anyways. But, um, listen, it, it, it was cool, man. DC fought a really great fight, and he fought really fucking well. If that was a three-round fight, DC won all three rounds, you know what I'm saying? So, it sucks, but DC is going to come back, and it's going to be competitive, and, that, and, and, and that's what counts. And what's cool is, is, like, man, they could throw on some mega fights now. Stipe, DC, three. Um, they could put on... Uh, uh, George Masvidal and Nate Diaz. They could put on uh, McGregor, Poirier, Khabib. They could put on uh, Khabib and Diaz. They have a million fights now, man. I mean, it's uh, it's it's opening up a little bit better. And uh, you know, you always feel bad for Cormier, but you know, Miocic is such a good guy that you can't you can't help but feel happy for him too. 
And uh, I think that Cormier is going to be back. They should do the rematch. They'll do it in Vegas. And, uh, you know, fantastic event. It was a crazy, 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 crazy card. Every time they go to Anaheim, there's always something good. And, yes, I like, the, the as you said, uh, the competitive side of DC. When Whenever you see DC and Jones together, it's like Jones is always in DC's head. And then you see DC get personal. He's not. He, he strays from, like, the competitor side. And, and as I've seen, what, what I notice is the competitor side of DC versus Stipe, very well-spoken, very articulate, very calm, knew how to, like, felt more present. I felt the competitive side of DC is the one I like to see, not the personal vendetta one against John Jones, because we know John's already won that yeah. battle. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Joan, uh, DC in the third round, he asked his coach with a very concerned voice if he had won the first three rounds. He sounded very concerned, and his coach didn't give him a definitive answer, and I think that he was a bit phased by that. But I think in his heart he thought he won all three rounds, and in my heart I thought he did also. I think maybe – I think he took that round off and, uh, you know, wanted to regroup for that fifth round, maybe take it four to one or whatever it was. Um you know, it's just absolutely crazy how the turn of events uh, turned out. I mean, you know, had maybe DC had maybe just tried to hold on to him on the cage. You know, that's a lot of energy considering DC smaller in terms of height. But I don't know. I'm very happy for uh, Stipe. I thought it was a great fight and a great event. And uh, all guys that won tonight have have bright fights, uh, bright futures ahead of them in terms of fights. So that, that's the sickest part about it. I think it's it's great too. You have a lot of options with the super fights. I mean, I mean, before they did Stipe versus DC in general, the original plan was before John popped for the Tyrannibal was to get John to. They didn't want to do that. That was supposed to be the plan where the tough season was John versus Stipe. But you know, John with his uh, outside antics, it caught up with him, and that's why they made DC Stipe. But I like this rivalry. It's not personal. It's just competitive. And it felt good watching it. It was a breath of fresh air, Adam. I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, it like, was a fantastic, fantastic <sighs> fight. Very, very good fight. It was, it was just a good they event. Did. Um, let me segue to uh, segue you for a second. Where do you think? Um, yeah. Where do you think they go from there? In the, in in the sense that uh, when they when they move these fights along, are are we going to start seeing bigger fights? I think so. I have a feeling that now that Connor's kind of out of the picture. The UFC has to go, is going to go back to the original model um, from what helped explode it with tough season one, where you had the, like the Liddells, the GSPs, the Andersons helping carry the promotion. I think the, the stars now, like in both women's and men's especially, well, the men's is like so developed over the years, you're going to see a lot of big fights happen. I really think there's going to be some crossovers and divisions, but it's going to be big. There's going to be some big things happening yeah, I, that I, uh, I, are going to make exciting I things. I hope so, too. I think that uh, from September to January is going to be, you know, maybe January will be a bit a bit uh, hectic, but I, I, I really suspect that uh, early 2020 will be uh, very, very eventful. I think we're going to be seeing, uh, like, uh, what we saw with the, do you remember the affliction days where like affliction was big, uh, UFC was big, and yeah. there was also I think the strike force. I think we're gonna see kind of that like with UFC mainly, and maybe one FC because one now is really chomping at the tip 
at the toes of Bellator to overtake it as the number two promotion. And Bellator could go down to the third that best one promotion. Like is, this. is putting on very frequent events, and they're very diverse in the sense that they could go ahead and put on a kickboxing show, a Muay Thai show, an MMA show, uh, a grappling match, and do really successful. It's they and they said they're gonna lose money in the present, but the long term business model is uh is that they will they see themselves as being a num a very big like competitor for martial arts in terms of the promotions. So I think you're gonna see a lot of big things happen there. I mean, I, this is wishful thinking, but I'm hoping we see something tells me that they're gonna do the first crossover in UFC. It's gonna happen not next year, but in the future. I think we're going to see something happen between UFC and one. I think one and Chaudhry are going to really make a pitch to North America once they come to North America, and that's going to put the UFC, you said UFC on its heels to do UFC that crossover versus fight. One? UFC versus one, no yeah. Chance. I think that's going to be the they first. They do Bellator versus uh, one before anything. And that's more open-minded and willing to see the benefits so of and dana white is so protective of the market i mean i see no reason why he would even have to compete so i i say bellator versus exactly. one i say bellator versus one and they do it in england that would be really good you have like the age paul daly uh douglas lima musasi machida get bellator rory Daddy, mcdonald uh, once Absolutely. Or, what about Gordon? I said McDonald's. And it doesn't have to be one event. No. Like, it could be any. Like, I, th I really think I see a lot of big things with MMA. Like, I mean, I've even seen your interest as, like, when uh, you first got in late teens and early 20s. So it's fun to be a fan right now, Adam. I mean, this is time. Like, I look forward every time Rogan has an MMA, I look forward has releases his Monday show. I really get excited for it. And then the reporters where he just sits down, say, or maybe uh, other motion, other like uh, from Europe. And it's just to really see what's happening. Like you really get a taste of that combat sport taking a, a new level with, especially with the ESPN yes. deal. Yes, absolutely. I mean, now you're going to see what it's all about. And the best part about MMA is, is that they always have better matchmaking than boxing. Boxing, there's too many politics that get in the way. Money gets in the way. Promoters get in the way. When you're dealing with MMA, because it's one big promotion with a bunch of sick fighters, fights are easily made better. The only issue is, is perhaps purse. So it's, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to make these matches in the UFC, and that's why the fans love it. And that's why boxing, sometimes, the best guys don't always fight the best guys until it's too late. Exactly. Like the Pacquiao, whether as an example, uh, Tyson, luckily by luck, Tyson and, uh, and Deontay just happened at the right time. But now there's concerns that this, the sequel might be stalled because of all the politics, as you said. Um, moving it back to MMA, like to see a light heavyweight is how Chris Weidman will do in his light heavyweight debut versus Reyes. I really think Chris Weidman's going to Rafael Dos Anjos did have a light heavyweight as his true division. And I think see the battle for the East Coast. Uh, Long Island, New York versus Buffalo Endicott where Jones is from. I think we're going to see a Jones-Weidman here. 
Um, that is. What's your uh, What's your thoughts on that? That's tough. That's tough. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a big Weidman guy, but I'm looking at how he did against a, a guy like Luke Rockhold or even Yoel Romero, a guy who's very guys who are a little bit more unorthodox, very long limbed, uh, high level strikers, high level grapplers, and I'm looking at Jones and I'm like, he's a bigger and better version of both of those guys uh, in striking and even MMA wrestling to an extent. So it's kind of tough for me to to see Weidman going up against the likes of Jones. Um, I would like to think that uh, Weidman is going to retire by the end of the year. Paul, such a, a standout career. I mean, he took out Anderson, defended against a good opposition, um, and he even helped off the octagon. He really helped make Wonder Boy's career. Wonder Boy had losses. Uh, I mean, one uh, came in and uh, he uh, like basically about good takedown defense yeah of course absolutely i mean listen weidman has a bright future i just i i don't know it's like you know he's got a beautiful family he's a family man he's a he's the all-american guy and you know sometimes those types of guys don't always necessarily get the careers that they anticipated but i you know i really hope that he goes out there and he starches his opponents like i'm a fucking huge fan of him but I just have a feeling that uh, maybe the transition will be tough. I mean, you look at the way Luke Rockhold handled it, and it didn't go that well. And I know that Weidman is a different animal than uh, than Rockhold, and I know that Rockhold has way more going on behind the scenes than Weidman does. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that the more you have going on behind the scenes, the more distracted you are. So, you know, very, very true. Very true. Ultimately, I think that uh, Weidman is going to perform well. But, you know, he's he's definitely got to look out for the size. He's got to look out for some of these guys, you know, uh, like Johnny Walker. He's a long-limbed dude. He's no joke. Yeah, I think Johnny Walker is a good test for Corey Anderson. We're going to see what kind of person Johnny Walker really is. Uh, yeah, a lot of fans are gravitating towards him because of his bit of an unorthodox, goofy style. But... I mean, Jones is a fighting savant, man. And I'm not saying this as like a John Jones fanboy. Yes, I love John Jones. Everyone who knows me says, well, like, knows like, yeah, Andy's a big Jones fan. But hey, I see what I see is like you're looking at a guy that's a fighting savant, and I think John's just gonna reign supreme on that lightweight heavyweight light heavyweight division until a he says, okay, I'll make the move up to heavyweight for the money, or b he just retires and says, okay, I have nothing left to prove. Absolutely, I completely agree. And I'm liking this, John, to be honest with you. Yes, there's a lot of concerns, like, oh, what's he going to do outside? But I think he's more disciplined now. I really think he's realizing, like, all, this, all the times he fucked up outside of the octagon was catching up with him. And he was wasting his talent. And, you know, his talent is to be fighting in the ring, not partying on coke binges or doing hit and runs or, you know, uh, having, like, questionable people around him. So... It's uh, it's that's what I think, you know. But it's it's exciting. It's just exciting, Adam, as you said. And Diaz is really like it's coming back now, and we got it. We got to be. We just got to be appreciative of what's happening because honestly, it, it looked it, it did kind of look bleak if you if you think of it. It absolutely did, man. It absolutely did. This was uh, this was a really good show. This was awesome. It was, it was. We got forty seven minutes in, even though it was the last minute. 
Uh, might be maybe one or two audio issues, but I mean, the flow, I think the flow that we have is what counts. So it should be up in about two days. So Adam, man, we're going to do this again with Cohen, hopefully, uh, for a fight companion to, to soon to be. And it will be much better with the quality and the flow of that. So this was Beyond the Fight, episode nine with Adam Kaplan. So Adam, we're going to do this again soon. You got it, man. Anytime. I'm pumped to be on the show. I love talking MMA. I love talking the fight game. Uh, you can have me on anytime, Andy. I love it. Same here, man. It's always fun to have you, or whether it's like my other, my first guest, I had Paul, who's been who's been really supportive with his uh, with his coach, uh, with his BJJ coach Dom Tabata. So you three guys are like are starting to be like the origin, the OGs of the show. So let's uh, let, let's continue what's going. Let's continue the, the the let's continue riding the train. Wow, I'm stuttering here. I'm just so pumped. I'm fucking fired up from yesterday and now this. So great yeah, show, great show, Adam. And we're gonna keep in touch, and we'll and we'll see and we'll speak Thanks, soon. Andy. No problem. Bye, Adam.